We return this morning to the book of Galatians and enter into the third chapter, first 14 verses. Last time we were in Galatians together, we, our study culminated in our hide the word verse, Galatians 2.20. And we've already said it this morning, but I want to say it again. I've taken a, a couple words out. They're all the most important words, and you've probably already memorized them. Let's read it again together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the truth of the gospel. Paul says he lives by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's been arguing all along in Galatians that he is justified by faith in Christ and not by doing works of the law. He has been preaching grace. And he will not stop. He ended chapter 2 by saying, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And Paul did not believe that Jesus died for nothing. He believed that Jesus died for his salvation and for the salvation of the Galatians. Those Gentiles from the region of Galatia to whom Paul has brought this gospel message. The good news of grace in Jesus Christ. But these same Galatians were in danger of losing the good news of grace in Jesus Christ. Some false brothers had infiltrated their ranks, discredited Paul and Paul's gospel, and had introduced what amounted to a similarly sounding, but actually completely different, alternative gospel. A gospel that was Jesus plus doing the law. Jesus plus doing the law. Yes, Jesus, sure. But not just, not just Jesus. Jesus plus, plus circumcision, plus kosher diet, plus feast days, plus law keeping, plus law doing. Nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But they are not the gospel. They are are not the basis of our justification. They are not what a Christian should put their hope in. They're not something to rely upon for being declared right with God. Righteous. They're not part of our salvation. Paul insisted in verses 15 and 16 that by observing the law, no one will be justified. So he's gotten to the heart of his letter this morning. The the whole next two chapters of Galatians will be driving this point home. What the gospel of grace really is and why it's better than the false alternatives that are being held out to the Galatians. And he's going to be urging them to return to the gospel of grace and reject the gospel of grace plus works of the law. That's what he's been up to all along and that's what he's still up to. In chapters 1 and 2, his approach was biographical. Paul told parts of his story and how they related to the issue at hand. Chapters 3 and 4, however, are going to be more theological than biographical. He goes back into Scripture and makes and then proves his points. 
but he starts out very personal. Not now about his own experience, but about their experience, the experience of the Galatians themselves. Let me read it to you. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And just listen to the passion of Paul. Paul cares so deeply about these people and he is so deeply concerned for them. Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law? Or because you believed what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, No one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, there's such powerful words. Help me to to proclaim them rightly. There's so much here And so much we need to hear. So give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the churches. We pray it in the name of the crucified one who loved us and gave himself for us. May he get the glory. Amen. I can't get over the tone of Paul in those first five verses. Did you feel it? as I was reading it to you? I can't, I can't ever imagine talking that way to a congregation. I should. I should imagine it. This is God's Word. This is exactly the right thing for Paul to say to these particular people. And we need to hear it today. 
But I don't know about you, I shy away from confrontation whenever I can. I might not sound like it when I'm up here preaching away, but I can be very fearful around others. Even when they are clearly in the wrong. Even when the gospel might be at stake. But Paul will have none of it. Paul is bold. Paul is rip-roaring angry. Do you hear that? Remember how astonished he was back in chapter 1? I am astonished! Well, he's not over it in chapter 3. He's feeling it now. Righteous indignation and total concern for these people for the gospel of grace. You foolish Galatians. You know, there's an O there untranslated in your NIV. I think it's translated by the exclamation mark. In the Greek, it says, Oh, you foolish Galatians. He is so furious with them. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a talking to? Like this one? True confession time. When I was a teenager, about Robin's age, some of my friends and I were out one night And we decided to play hide-and-go-seek in a cemetery. Now, that is a bad idea. It's disrespectful. It's dangerous. We were jumping over gravestones in the dark. And it was probably illegal, too. We jumped a fence to do it. And we got caught. I don't remember by who we got caught. I just remember that a car drove up. You know, the car went by one time, and, they, and then the car came back, and then the car came through and then drove up into the parking lot, lights on, sh- lights on, shining into the cemetery. They told us, get out of there, go home. When I, got, when I was going home, I, I was preparing what to say to my parents. You ever think through one of those speeches? Like the prodigal, he plans out what he's going to say when he gets back to his dad. Well, I got home and my parents had this look on their faces. They had already heard. The adults that had found us had called them while we were driving home. Frankly, I don't remember what they said to me. I just remember how I felt. And I know how I would talk to my teens if they came home in the same situation. It might sound a lot like Paul did in Galatians 3. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Now, Paul doesn't fly off the handle. Paul is in perfect control of himself. He has self-control. The Spirit has control of him. Paul isn't just venting to feel better because he's expressed his exasperation. Sometimes we parents can just enjoy taking off on our kids. That's not what he's doing. Paul has a purpose for these words. He has a purpose for for this tone. He wants to persuade these Galatians. Yes, he wants them to feel the fiery red hotness of his words but by them to be persuaded and to return to and to stick to the gospel of grace that he had presented to them. He's pulling out these rebuking words and dressing them down, not to humiliate them, not to to just call them on the carpet, 
but to awaken them from their dangerous slumber and get some gospel sense knocked into them. You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? What are you thinking? Are you under some kind of a spell? What evil influence are you listening to? How could you think that this teaching was an improvement on what I taught you? Verse 1, Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Wasn't that enough? Paul is saying that he had one message when he was with them, and that was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said it again and again. He presented not Jesus and the law, but Jesus and His cross. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That's what I preached. Was that not enough? Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? You know he's like a parent there, right? I got one question for you, Buster. And there's no way you should be getting this question wrong. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? What's the answer to that one? By believing what you heard. How do they get the Spirit? How does anyone get the Spirit? By circumcision? By dietary laws? By being a good Jew? By being a good person? How does anyone get the Spirit of God? By putting your faith in the good news of Jesus. By faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone. By believing what you heard. What's that? That's the gospel. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? So silly? So sluggish? So wrong? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Literally by the flesh? Start with the Spirit, end with the flesh? Is that what you're going to do? Is that how this works? You know better than this. Verse 4, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing? Everything you've experienced as believers in Jesus, everything good you've received like the Spirit of God, that comes from faith. But what about the bad things you've endured because you've trusted Jesus? You used to think it was all worth it to suffer for the Gospel. Paul says, I believe it's worth it but now you're throwing it away. Oh, you foolish Galatians. He rounds it off, verse 5. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Which one is it? It's the same question, isn't it? By believing what you heard. You see how he wants to wake them up and see what dangerous ground they're on? He's far away, by the way. He cannot call them. He cannot Skype with them. He can't just hop in a car and 
drive up to Galatia. He's heard about this, and the best he can do at this moment in his life is write them a letter. And by this letter, he's trying to grab them by the lapels and say, think about what you're doing. Where are you going with this? You see, there's only two options on the table, observing the law or believing the gospel of grace. Trusting in your own work or trusting only in the work of Christ. Those are the two options. Paul has presented one that they had started with. This is a good one. But they're now in danger of believing the other and rendering everything he said to them as null and void. So now Paul begins to contrast these two approaches to justification and tease out some of their implications. And to do that, he reaches back into his Old Testament and he grabs one of his favorite Bible characters, Father Abraham. Verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's saying the story of Abraham is on my side. Remember when he did this back in Romans chapter 4? How he played the Abraham card? I'm sure the Jews were always playing the Abraham card with each other. I'm sure that the Judaizers, that's the name that we often give to these false teachers here, the Judaizers love to talk about Abraham. I mean, God gave circumcision to Abraham, right? And he was so obedient. He was the model of obedience. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac at the command of God. There's a law follower if I ever saw one. But Paul says, let's think about this. What does the Old Testament say? Before he was noted for his obedience, Abraham was noted for what? For his faith. In fact, verse 6 here is quoting Genesis 15, 6. And what happened before Isaac and before circumcision and before the law. Tom and Jackie, what year did you guys head south? 2002. So you missed Genesis. January of 2003, we jumped into Genesis as a church family. Do you remember that? Abraham believed God and it was credited, reckoned to him as righteousness. Was that before or after Isaac? Before. Yeah. Was that before or after the law? Before. Justification, righteousification is by faith, not by works of the law. It always has been, even back in Abraham's day. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. How do you become a child of Abraham? Well, I would say biology, right? Or, or maybe through circumcision. That's how you get in. But he says, no, no, no. You become a, a true child of Abraham just by faith. Really? Is that there in Genesis? Paul says, oh yeah. Look at verse 8. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles in this story? That's us, right? That's the Galatians. 
or us here at Lance Free. And how would he do that? He would do it by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Where's he quoting there? All nations will be blessed through you. What is that? What do we call that? Remember Genesis? I know 2003 is so long ago. Peter was born in 2003. He was born, born during Genesis. Okay, so, so that was a long time ago. I understand. What do we call that? It's the Abrahamic covenant, right? It's the promises that God gave to Abraham, including that all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. It's in Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 18, 18, Genesis 22, 18. He says it again and again. So that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There's so much there. Now, I, ra- I realize this raises all kinds of questions. But the point that Paul is making is very clear. The blessings of justification come not by works of the law, but by faith. Trusting in the promises of the gospel, just like Abraham did. Now, of course, we know more about the promises of the gospel than Abraham ever did. But the gospel was announced in advance in seed form in the Abrahamic covenant. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. Through having the same faith as you do, Abraham. Faith that eventually was placed in your greatest descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. So much blessing. If we put our faith in Jesus, we get blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, of course, the opposite is also true. If you follow the alternative gospel that's being presented to you, you will not get blessing. What's on the other side of blessing? Curse. Verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's in the Bible too. Deuteronomy. 27-26, scary words. Clearly, Paul says, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. That's in the Bible too. Where's that? Habakkuk 2.4. Paul loves Habakkuk 2.4. He quoted it in Romans. He made a big deal of it there. He quotes it here in Galatians. The righteous will live by faith. Not by doing but by trusting. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. That's also in the Bible. Sure, if you keep the law perfectly, then you will have eternal life. Only one problem with that. Nobody but Jesus ever kept the law perfectly. And now in the new covenant, the law has been fulfilled and doesn't even sit in the same place it did. We'll see that next time. The man who does these things, the law, will live by them, but nobody does these things, the law. So there's nothing but death. So we're under a curse. Friends, think about those words. Under a curse. Verse 13. But... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse 
for us. For it is written, Deuteronomy 21-23, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He did that for us. Jesus became accursed for you and for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That's the cry of the accursed one. Yes, there is power in the blood. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Why did He do that? He didn't have to do that. He didn't deserve it. He deserved nothing but life. He did the law perfectly. And this is what He gets? He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. In Galatia, in central Pennsylvania, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see the Spirit there? He's big in this book. The Spirit's all over this book. Sometimes we, we might miss Him because He's so quiet, but, but He's all over this book. How do we get Him? Remember Paul asked that question earlier? How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by works of the law or was it by believing what you heard? Hearing with faith. We get the Holy Spirit by faith. Just like we get every one of God's blessings in Christ by faith and not by doing the law. That's what Paul is driving home. It's foolish to think you'll get all of these blessings by adding circumcision or by adding obedience. Even obedience to the Ten Commandments. If you rely on observing the law, you are under a curse. Cursed by God. But you don't have to be. Rely on Christ. And Christ alone. Because He redeemed us. That means He he bought us back to set us free. That's what redeemed means. Bought back to be set free. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Don't let that get old for you. That is so amazing. And we get all of that not by working our way up to it, but just simply by grabbing it by faith. Let me give you four Quick points of application from this passage. Paul's not done with his argument, but we'll pick it up next time. Let me suggest four implications and applications from these 14 verses. Number one, start by faith in Christ. If you have not yet, I urge you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see what's at stake. You see what it's worth. You see what Jesus did. 
You see what blessings come for those who trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for justification. Jesus became a curse to bring His people blessing. I invite you to join His people today by faith. I'll bet you can guess what point two is. It's what Paul is trying to get them to do. Stay by faith in Christ. Don't move away from this gospel. Don't try to add anything to this grace. Don't allow yourself to be bewitched. Don't get taken in by another gospel. So many people think they can move on past the gospel of grace. They turn and try something else, often while still thinking of themselves as Christians. It's like falling asleep. It's like going into a trance. Stay awake to the gospel of grace and don't deviate from it. Because the other way is cursed. Number three, share your faith in Christ. Don't keep it a secret. Be like Paul in verse 1 and clearly portray Jesus Christ as crucified. That's what our church is all about. I hope Tom and Jackie, you guys came back and it sounded just like it sounded 15 years ago. Not in style, but in substance. We exist to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We've got to tell other people about Him. Have you done that recently? What He went through for us, He became a curse for us. And we can't bring ourselves to tell other people about Him? Oh, foolish Pennsylvanians. Number four, stand up for faith in Christ. Don't be afraid to confront false gospels when you have to. I chickened out this week. I was in a social setting where the gospel was probably at stake. And I didn't compromise, I didn't go along with everybody in the group, but I also did not speak up. I told myself I couldn't figure out what to say. I just sat there with my head down and my brown furrow, my brow furrowed. Matt, who has this lots of words, well, I, I couldn't find any right then. I thought about it all the rest of the week. In this particular situation, I should have said something like, my conscience won't allow me to go along with this because of the gospel. Those would be words. I could have used those. They were even in my head. But at the moment, I just shook my head. No. When asked a question. And then waited for the moment to pass. And then I had to preach this message to us this morning. Oh, foolish Pastor Matt. You can do better than that. You know better than that. When Martin Luther was called before the gathering of church leaders at Worms, he was asked to recant, that is to repent of his gospel of grace. He was given some time to consider his response. 
Sometimes Luther could be bold, but this was a very big deal. Luther probably could have lost everything, including his life that day. All he had to do was say that he was wrong. But Luther believed that he had correctly understood what Paul had taught the Galatians. So he basically said, here I stand on the gospel of grace. That's all I can do. I want to be more like that. And I want to be more like Paul who cared enough about these churches in Galatia to light into them when they threatened to careen off the cliff. Don't go there. Don't leave the gospel of grace. Don't be a fool. Every other gospel leads to cursing. But faith in Jesus leads to blessing. The blessings given to Abraham. The blessings of justification. And the blessing of having the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, let's stand up for the gospel like that.